Turn in your Bibles to 91 in the remaining time that we have. 91. Uh, Psalm 91 in the Old Testament. Remaining time that we have. Uh, some of you are probably wondering about next week. What are we going to do next week? Well, I don't know. We might have service. We might not. Depends upon how the Lord answers our prayer. Right? What's this? Oh, yeah. We're, we're mentioning that. And, and I would assume. Now, listen. I would assume that there's not going to be a sunrise service breakfast either. I would assume that that's going to be an issue, but, but we don't know for sure. But I'm just, just anticipate that possibility. No men's breakfast. There's no activities this week. We're just rescheduling all of that. And uh, so keep that in mind. I think that was on the overhead earlier, wasn't it? Yeah. All right, keep that in mind. But what about next Sunday? What next Sunday? Well, obviously, it depends upon how the Lord answers our prayer, doesn't it? If we're not in an area where there are cases that have been established and there's that imminent threat that they'll be spreading, then there's a possibility we'll have church. We don't fall under the guidelines that say we can't do that. We can't feel bad for the churches that do fall under those guidelines. Uh, Fortunately, Paradise did not, we did not, and Mount Olive did not, so we're all having services today. But having said that, uh, I, I also want you to keep in mind, let's not be like the girl the little girl who went to, uh, um, went to church for a special prayer meeting because there was a drought going on and there was no rain, and she brought an umbrella, and one of the deacons said to her, why did you bring an umbrella to, 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 to the prayer meeting? It hasn't rained for, for a, over a month or more. And she said, well, didn't that what we came to do, pray for rain? See what I mean? So I'm not going to assume that the Lord is, I mean, our, we're praying that the Lord would protect this area and uh, spare us from um, any spread of the virus. And so I think uh, we'll, we'll be watching that, certainly check the Internet, and we can get a word around by word of mouth. But uh, having said that, if you do show up next week and for some reason there is no service, there'll be some leaders here, and uh, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be having something. But having said that, I don't know, basically speaking, whether it'll be a formal worship service or not. We'll just wait and see. Remember Rhoda in the New Testament? She came to the door. They were praying for Peter's release in chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, remember that? Praying hard for Peter's release, and Rhoda came to the door because Peter was released. And he's knocking at the door, and Rhoda was shocked. Like, what are you doing here? What are you praying about? Well, we're praying for your release, but what are you doing here? We certainly didn't expect it to happen. Uh, we, don't want to, we don't want to be that way. We don't want to be that way. Okay, I want to read to you very quickly. This, uh, this is not going to take a whole lot of time. I've had to adjust this this morning, so this is a brief, very brief overview of Psalm 91. But I want to read to you um, once again, if I can find the page. Yes, I got the page here. I want to read you a couple of comments in a different book. Um, one of my favorite authors here wrote a book on John Adams, and he talks about this particular 1793 event. In Philadelphia, beginning in August, yellow fever raged in the worst, in the worst epidemic ever to strike an American city. You've got to remember back in those days, it was a huge part of the population, wasn't it? Because uh, we were just a young nation. We didn't have the 300 million people we have today. So at the beginning of August, yellow fever raged in the worst epidemic ever to strike an American city. Reports of what had happened in Paris would not reach America for months. That was just another problem of the encroachment of foreign... uh, But anyway, having said that. But the pestilence in Philadelphia filled the newspapers everywhere. Someone said if we could just quarantine the press for 14 days, we might be in better shape. (laughs) 
<laughs> I thought, amen to that. Amen to that. Just quarantined the press for, for a couple of weeks. But anyway, as always happens, the newspapers are full filled with information. At Quincy, where Adams lived, of course, when they weren't in Washington, um, they, were, um, they were preparing to come back to Washington after a summer recess. But by the last weeks of August, people were dying in Philadelphia at a rate of more than 20 a day. And it went up to 100 a day. Uh, uh, in, a, in a short period of time. In September, as the death toll rose rapidly, Benjamin Rush and other physicians... Benjamin Rush, by the way, was one of the finest Christian doctors we had ever seen in colonial America. Uh, he helped to stop the plague. Uh, in order to help stop the plague, he advised all who could leave the city to do so without a delay. The federal government and most businesses were shut down, obviously. Um, and, and, of course, a lot of, a lot of people were in the city of Washington. Um, Adams was not president yet at this time. George Washington was. He left the city. And, um, and so, according to the common understanding of that day, the cause of yellow fever was a foul steaming air of late summer in cities like Philadelphia, a putrid state of air occasioned by a collection of filth, heat, and moisture. And uh, they couldn't figure out where it was coming from. By October, the death rate reached more than 100 a day. People were dying faster than they could be buried. Numbers of physicians and ordinary citizens performed heroic doing all they could for those who were stricken, including Benjamin Rush, who uh, felt very, very compelled to stay in the city. The epidemic ended with the first hard frost in November, as quickly as it started, and uh, as it did every year that they had a problem with it. And in all, more than, uh, more than about 5,000 had perished in Philadelphia. And, of course, it always took its toll on, on society in other ways as well. Now, having said that, my question to you is this. Does prayer really matter? Does it work? Now, initially when you read Psalm 91, let's read a few verses here. The first person to talk in Psalm 91 is the psalmist himself in verses 1 and 2. And you'll notice that because he says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. That's the psalmist speaking. And the psalmist is giving you two things to think about. Number one, dwell in the secret place of the Most High. We're not talking about just anybody. We're talking about the Most High. We're talking about the Almighty. We're talking about the God of the universe. We're talking about the one who created everything. Dwell in the secret place of the Most High. Dwell in a place where you're impervious to danger. Dwell where He has you safe and secure. Dwell in the secret place of the Most High. And He says in verse 2, I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge, my place to go in time of trouble. He is my fortress. He is my bastion where I can, can be safe and free from danger. He's my God, in Him I will trust. And then it shifts. He's not only talking about Himself, but now He talks to us. And notice the change in the pronoun. Surely He will deliver you. This is the psalmist now. He's already said, I put my money where my mouth is, I'm practicing what I preach. I'm not telling you something that I already don't see, and I already see this in my own life. And so he then talks to us, and he says, Surely he shall deliver you from, one, the snare of the fowler, number two, 
from the perilous pestilence. Second thing God will do is he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. And that's critical because when you look at this passage of Scripture, you're either going to say, I don't know, or yes, I believe it's true. I don't know. Think about this. Think about this. Because you and I can look at exceptions to the rule and then try to make the rule from the exception. You know, I can look at this and say, when is the fulfillment of this going to happen for me? I know people who haven't seen this happen in their lives, and they know the Lord. Look at verse 5. You shall not be afraid. Certainly he can handle that for us. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand. It doesn't matter how big the opposition is. It doesn't matter how extensive the epidemic is. It doesn't matter how big the army is that you're facing or whatever. It doesn't matter. He says in in this particular passage of Scripture, verse 7, but it's not going to come near you. Only with your eyes you shall look and see the reward of the wicked. You're going to be standing off and watching it all happen. That's what I love about I couldn't do the book of Revelation today because Babylon is all about the collapse of the economic system of the world. Would you love that today? I said, I told John, I said, I can't preach that today. Not going to preach that today. The collapse of the economic system of the world. But anyway, the thing about the book of Revelation is a lot of it is where we're looking on and seeing it happen. You know, we worry about that and we say, boy, am I going to have to go through all of this? Well, the point is that there's truth in that we will see with our eyes the reward of the wicked as we see God dealing with them. All right, verse 9. Because you, the psalmist has continued to talk to you and me, because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, all right, once again, he's not telling us anything he doesn't personally experience, because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. That's the same thing as verse 1, dwell in the secret place of the most high. Most of us, I like to look at it this way, and I often do this when Jesus talks about, if you love me, I love you. Because we know Jesus' love for us is unconditional. So what does he mean by that? Well, if I live in a house and I'm secure and, and safe in that house, well, like I were a, 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 the prodigal son, all right? He had a great home, right? He had a great home. Everything was good. Seemed to have a very loving family, a loving father and all of that. But one day he decided he was going to leave all of that. So he gets up, he walks out of the house, and he goes down the road. And now he's out from under. He's not dwelling in the presence of safety. He's not dwelling, no longer is he in the house where he is safe and secure under the shadow of his family or his father. And I like to look at it that way. God will let us walk out of his presence. But God wants us to live in his, if we live in his presence, we get to reap the results of living in his presence. But you and I can walk out of his presence and we can go out into the world and we can do our own thing if we want to. But when we do, we must understand that we will suffer the consequences of the world. But notice what he says here in verse 10. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For verse 11, 12, and 13, I love these verses because 
the devil, the devil actually uses these verses to try to convince Jesus when he was tempted in the New Testament. Remember that? Throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. Oh, my goodness. Verse 11. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, which represents all of these, the snare, the fowler, the perilous pestilence, and any trouble that you and I have. Wow. I can understand you saying, well, I don't know. That's a big thing. That's a big bill of promises that the Lord makes to us. I don't know whether to believe it or not. I'm going to be the exception to the rule. No. That's unbelief, right? That's definitely unbelief. And that's not where the Lord wants you to be. The Lord wants you to claim this promise, right? Psalmist is not just talking about himself. He's talking to you and me. And notice what he does for verses 14, 15, and 16 as he closes this up. This is interesting. Because he has set his love. So the psalmist is talking to us. Because he has set. Oh, no. God is talking here. Now, it was the psalmist talking in verse 1 and 2. He's talking to us in verses 3 through 13. Now he has direct revelation from God himself. God has the last word. Here it is. Here it is. Because he has set his love on me. What's, the, what's he going to do? I will deliver him. So application is pretty cool, isn't it? Dwell in the secret place of the Most High, the Almighty, the God who is our refuge and strength. Trust in him. He repeats that in verse 9. You have made the Lord your refuge Dwell, you are to live in, he is to be your dwelling place. And then number three, set your, make sure you set your love upon God. Don't love the world and the things that are in the world. It's okay to love each other. It's okay to love in general. But the Bible says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus said this. It is the first commandment. There's no other commandment more important than that. You do anything else without loving me, and you're missing the boat. And then you love your neighbors yourself. We have this feigned idea of loving in this society when there's really not a, love, a lot of love going around. But somehow we got people out there that want you to think they love you and they care about you. And they want to provide for you and do everything they can. When it's not about you, it's about them. Now, that's a reality. And that's a problem that you and I have to deal with. But, you know, we're talking about believers. We're talking about those of us here in the church. We love each other. But we need to set our love upon God, which means that what He wants us to do is more important. Where He wants us to go is more important. What he, how he wants us to live is more important than anything else in all the world. If those things are true of you, then what Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, then you know you're right on. But if you walk out of here and say, well, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to. Do I really, really want to love the Lord in that way by, by doing this and doing that? You know? And it comes, even comes down to simple things like, do I want to go to church and thank him and sing and praise him for anything? Oh, can't I just go to the lake 
than swim? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Let me make it practical. It's really practical. You know, you've got six other days to do that. <laughs> oh, you know, but I'm going to say that. I'm not legalistic. I'm not saying there's a lot of times after church we'll go to the lake and swim. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. God has to be first. Set your love upon him. These promises are for the person who does that. All right? Now, verse 14, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him, says the Lord. I will set him on high because he has what? Because he has, everybody together, because he has known my name. We talk about Jesus knowing your name. Man, he knows me personally. He knows who I am. He knows everything about me. How about you? How much do you know about him? Right? And where are you going to find out? You've never read your Bible, you're not learning anything about him. <laughs> right? If you're never praying, we're not learning anything about him. If we're not doing the spiritual exercises that God gives to us, we're not learning about him, right? I just don't want, it's very, but the last thing I want to happen here this morning is anybody walking out here saying, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that he's going to protect me from practically everything there is out there. I don't believe it. And I don't want you thinking that without understanding that maybe, maybe you're not falling in line with dwelling in his presence and setting your love upon him. You know what I mean? I don't know. I, I think we ought to be careful not to blame the Lord in this situation. We ought to say, hey, Lord, you know what? I'm going to humbly come to you, and I want to seek your face and dwell with you, dwell in your presence and set my love upon you, and I want, I want to know your name just as much as you know my name. Because what does he say in verse 15 about your prayer life? Final. What does he say? He shall call upon me. This is God speaking. He gave these words specifically to the psalmist. He shall call upon me, and what will happen? Everybody together. I will answer him. What does he say next? I will be with him, number two. I will answer him. I will be with him. And number three, I, everybody together, I will deliver him and honor him. And guess what? The icing on the cake can be, although you and I know that the final fulfillment of this passage of Scripture is not just in this present life. It's going, to believe, it's going to be for all eternity. You do understand that. You do understand that. He will satisfy you with long life or show you and show you his salvation. He says that. I don't say it. God says it. So I'm going to be very careful before walking away from that and saying, ah, I see too many exceptions of the rule, Lord. Lord. Um, but I don't know all the circumstances. I can't believe that those national days of prayer didn't, didn't affect large groups of people. Where God, where, where, where there's a blessing, I think of, uh, well, I can't even get into that, but uh, I can think of examples where, uh, well, I can't get into it. We'll just do it another time. We'll just do it another time. But uh, you'd love the examples, but I, they're too exciting to share in just two minutes. But there you have it. There you have it. Now, you and I know that this promise is for you whole body and soul, not just your body. Not just today or tomorrow or down the road. It's for you, for not just now, but for all eternity. That's a great promise. Let's hang on to it. Let's hold on to it. Let's pray it. Let's live it. 
And let's rejoice in a God who is mighty. Let's rejoice in a God who is the Almighty. Let's rejoice in a God who is a refuge and strength in trouble. Amen? All right, let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the reality of this as we pray for your people and ask for your safety and your protection for us as you address us in this passage of Scripture. We pray this in the name of our precious Savior, our Redeemer, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.